Okay, if you would take your Bible and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 2, we started this last week about rightly dividing the word, so we're going to kind of continue that. Probably won't go any further than this, what we're doing today. But anyway, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase more and more on ungodliness. The word will eat as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying the resurrection is past already, and overthrow the faith of some. So, again, rightly dividing the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word this afternoon. We thank you for the fellowship we enjoyed and time together. We pray that you, as we look into the word of God, that we would learn and grow in an understanding of thy truth and how to interpret and apply the word of God to our lives for our good, for thy glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as we read, as we mentioned last week, as we read and study the Bible, probably understand that we must compare scripture with scripture. Uh, Peter tells us in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 20 that no scripture is of any private interpretation. In other words, it can't, doesn't pertain just to itself. Uh, Isaiah 8 verse 20 says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, is because there's no light in them. So, you know, if you're talking to a Mormon in particular, that they believe that, you know, the uh, Book of Mormon is equal to and authoritative with the Bible, and uh, that's a verse you use, Isaiah eight twenty. If they speak not according to this prophecy, according to this word, because there's no light in them. And of course, also First Corinthians fourteen verses thirty two and twenty three, thirty two and thirty three says, and the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. So, if something is true, it's subject to all the other prophets. If something is true in the Bible, it's subject to all the other examinations by all the other books of the Bible as to whether it's true or not. If it doesn't agree with something else in the Bible, then it's not true. Now, uh, <clears throat> So, again, we said that to write uh, to write a divide, of course, a study means it takes effort. To write a divide means the idea of cutting to make straight and smooth, to handle a right. So you have to put the right passage together with the complete revelation of God to establish any doctrine. And we have to understand those doctrines in their, or those writings in their context. Now, so we, we talked about comparing Scripture with Scripture. Now, there's some other things that we need to understand to rightly divide Scripture, and that is, there's two things I want to, main things I want to talk about this afternoon. There are three different periods of time in the Bible. That, and some of those overlap one from the other, but you know, we have to take those thing, periods of time into consideration because some things written in one time period do not apply to another. Some things do, but some things don't. 
and, and we'll look at that. These are called dispensations. They simply means time periods. And if you go to Ephesians chapter 3, that word is used by the Apostle Paul because to him was revealed this dispensation in which we are living. Um, and it was before called a mystery. This dispensation we're living in, this time period, uh, was called a mystery. In, in Ephesians 3 and verse 1, it says, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you. Word. And so if you would just say, think about it as a time period, that's what a dispensation is. How that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of man, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make all sins see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who create all things by Jesus Christ. So, you know, and again, the word dispensation simply means a time period. Now, now I'm going to say more about this a little bit later. But if we think about dispensation or time periods, uh, there are, most believe there are seven in the Bible. Uh, and they would go like this. Innocence, there was a time when man was innocent in the garden before sin. He was innocent. He didn't know what sin was. And we call that innocence. And of course, that ended when man sinned. When sin came upon the world, he was kicked out of the garden. And the next dispensation we call conscience. And man's conscience is now awakened. He knows he has knowledge of good and evil. Because what did he eat of? The tree of what? Knowledge of good and evil. So now he has knowledge of good and evil. And even unsaved man has knowledge of good and evil. Uh, look, at, look at Romans chapter 2, verses 12 to 16. Romans 2. And verse 12 says, Romans 2, 12, For as many as have sinned without law shall also perish without law, and as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, those would have been ones without law, without the law of God, when the Gentiles, who have not the law, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are law unto themselves, which show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and their thoughts the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. In the day when God shall judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So, so now man has a conscience, and his conscience tells him, hey, this is right, this is wrong. Now, conscience can be seared, it can be damaged, it can be affected by, by influences, so it's not a reliable, but you know, every person is born with a conscience to know that thou shalt not kill. Every, every, every person, you know, conscience tells us thou shalt not steal. You know, like I say, the old preacher used to always say, you know, um, 
Every man has a light conscience. That's why nobody steals his neighbor's cow and ties it in the front yard. Because he knows. All right, steal my neighbor's cow. Uh, so this was conscience, and that, that uh, was, was the, the, the time period up until the flood. And, and, of course, it got so bad. You know, I show you the re- re- reliability of conscience. It got so, ma- so bad that every man's thought was only evil continually. That's what God's summation of the end of that time period was. Um, and, of course, God brought the flood and destroyed man. And then he established human government. And in, in uh, Genesis chapter 9, and this is, the, this is the most, this is a basic human government was established. And by the way, these are, these are all in Genesis. Genesis chapter 9, and of course this covers quite a lot of time uh, when you think about it. But Genesis 9 verses 5 and 6, Surely shall your blood, surely your blood of your lives will I acquire at the hand of every beast, will I require it, the hand of a man, hand of every brother, man's brother will I require the life of man. Who shall shed a man's blood? By man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. Now, there had been no law concerning murder up until this point. It's just, just your conscience. Just guided by your conscience, of course. And we know that didn't work very well. So now God says he establishes this law of human government that if a man kills a man willfully, he should be put to death. That's, that's a form of, that's really government. And of course, we still have God-ordained human government. Romans 13. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever resisteth the power resisteth the ordinance of God. So, you know, man still has a conscience. He's not innocent. You know, little kids are innocent, but man's not innocent. Man still has a conscience. Man is still we still have human government. Now, there's been a lot of laws added in the Bible to our human government, but, uh, and, but we'll see that. So, so and of course, uh, this ended uh, around the Tower of Babel. Man, again, opposes God. And, of course, every one of these kind of ends in some kind of judgment. Tower of Babel confounded man's languages, and the nations came about as a result. And then God chose a person. He picked out one man, Abraham. And he gave Abraham promises. And we call this the dispensation of promise. God called Abraham out of the Ur of the Chaldees. In Genesis chapter 12, he gave Abraham some promises. Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in these shall all families of the earth be blessed. So we call this the dispensation of promise. Again, we're not, we're not to the law yet. The law wasn't until Moses. So this is the dispensation of promise. God called Abraham. He establishes a people through whom to be a witness. And, 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 but he makes promises to Abraham. And those promises, you know, there's what we call the Abrahamic covenant, has to do with land. Now, again, this promise has never been negated or done away with. It's still in force today. Now, they are in the land, but they haven't always been there. But it's the land, it was a promise that God made to Abraham that he never rescinded. They will, again, uh, they are in the land, 
But they will again, of course, during the millennium reign. Uh, Christ is going to rule out of there. But so, so they still have this land. They are an earthly people. Um, so he, he, he gave them a, a, a uh, established them as a people of God, the Old Testament. Um, and then they, they went down into Egypt and, and uh, you know, forsook, the, you know, through their sin and so on, there was a forsaking of the land. Uh, and then when uh, the, the fifth dispensation is the, the, the dispensation of the law, and it was, of course, given by Moses, and really that starts in the book of Exodus uh, and runs up until uh, the time of Christ. So, you know, John 1.17 says the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So you have the dispensation law. You still have the promises made to Abraham. Of course, the law was given to the Jewish people also. You still have human government. In fact, we're going to have some laws added. Um, but, and so you still have that, and you still have conscience. So these things carry on, many of them. Uh, so you have the giving of the law. Uh, and again, it's with a people. It promises to people. Uh, and in the law, there are different, I don't know what I'll say, aspects of law or forms of law. Uh, I'm not sure the right word to use here. But anyway, you have the moral law. That'd be the Ten Commandments. Like the Ten Commandments, they do not change. They are eternal. It's still a law that thou shalt not kill. That's still God's law. In fact, Jesus reiterated or repeated many of those in, the, in, the, in those almost all those in the New Testament, um, except for maybe the remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We don't worship on the Sabbath. We worship on the Lord's day. But all the others are repeated. So you have the moral law and. Uh, uh, those are uh, established to us the, the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and his judgments and his commandments. And they, you have also laws concerning the civil life of Israel. Concerning debts, for example. The year of Jubilee. You know, that was, again, those things were specific to Israel. Not to us. They're not for the Gentiles. Circumcision. That was given to the Jews. It was a sign to the Jews of their separation. All of these things were a sign of their separation unto God. And so circumcision was given to the Jews. Now, it's not wrong to circumcise your man child. Uh, in fact, I think they've determined that it's a good thing, a helpful, helpful thing. But, but, but it's not wrong. But nor is it, it's not wrong nor right. Okay. So you, you you don't have to do you don't you don't have to do it. It's not wrong not to do it. It's not necessarily right to do it. It's not a it's not a law for us today. Um, it was something that had to do with Israel. The, you know the year of jubilee. We don't have a year of jubilee. There were ordinances of worship at the tabernacle and temple. Now all those things pictured Christ. But what happened to them when Christ died? It came to an end. Uh, we don't we don't do that. We don't worship that way. Uh, there were the dietary laws, and again, all these governed the life of Israel, and were marks of their separation as a as a people of God called out from among the nations. So, so you know, again, we're not we're not uh, under the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Uh, you know, I think if you want to be healthier, you know, they, they are healthy laws, but but then we're not restricted to those. Uh, 
Uh, so all these govern the nation of Israel. The, the, in fact, go to Colossians chapter 2. I missed that reference here. Colossians chapter 2 talks about the ordinances. You know, you think about the worship of, of the Lord in the Old Testament. It wasn't just you take your lamb there on Passover or you kill your lamb on Passover and put the blood over the door or you take your lamb to the, to the temple and offer it as a sacrifice. There was holy days. There was new moons. There was all kinds of things that they kept and honored. And, 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 that, and all these things pointed to Christ. In Colossians 2, Paul said to the church of Colossae in verse 14, blotting out the ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, took it out of the way, nailing it to a cross. See, all these things are contrary to Gentiles. They're not of the Gentiles. So, it's contrary to us, nailing it to a cross, having spoiling principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat, or in drink, or in respect of a holy day, or of a new moon, or of a Sabbath day which are a shadow of things to come. But the body is of Christ. So all these things were just shadows or pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, who was to come. So as God began to introduce the new covenant, or a new time period, which he did, he introduced it actually before he removed the old, but see, Jesus was a fulfillment of all this, and so when, he, when Jesus came on the scene, he fulfilled it. We don't need those Old Testament sacrifices, the holy days, the new moons, you know, everything that they observe. We don't need that because we have the real thing. We have Christ. We have the Passover lamb himself. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, See, Jesus was a fulfillment of the Old Testament law. You know, Matthew 4, 5 tells us that, that Jesus said, I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Fulfill it. Uh, you know, the law does. Now, now, understand, the law is very, very instructive to us. The law declares the holiness of God very vividly. You know, Hebrews 7, 26 says, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, made higher than the heavens. And, and so, you know, he would meet the demands of the law because he was holy and harmless. You know, the, the, the law s- says that the soul that sinneth, it shall die. One sin. One sin. You're worthy of death. That was the standard of the law. And so it shows us a the the the... the Rigidity, you might say, of the holiness of God, the perfection of it. And, and, of course, Christ fulfilled that. He was holy, harmless, sinless, and undefiled, separate from sinners. Uh, the law requires separation from sin. 1 John 3, 5 says, uh, And he was manifest to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. So, it requires a separation from sin. And the law demonstrates the need of a sacrifice for sin. Because what does it do? Well, as Romans chapter 3 tells us, it declares the whole world guilty before God. So, do we need the law? You know, there's, there's people who say, oh, we don't need the law. We don't need the law today at all. We don't need it. How are you going to know you're a sinner if you don't have the law of God? Now, are we under the condemnation of law? 
Not if you're saved. But if you're not saved, you are. You still are. But, so those laws that God gave us, those moral laws, do not change. They, they, go, they cross the time periods, but the ceremonial laws, the worship of the Old Testament, the dietary laws, the laws considering the civil life of Israel, they don't pertain to us. They're not repeated in the New Testament under the New Covenant. In fact, you remember that was what the disagreement was about between the church at Antioch and the church at Jerusalem. Except ye be circumcised, the Jews said, ye cannot be saved. Of course, Paul and Barnabas went to Jerusalem and said, hey, wait a minute. Uh, no, those things, circumcision availeth nothing. Doesn't avail anything. Uh, and so, so those things, you know, we still have the moral law, but not, it, 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 it continues on, but not the ceremonial, the civil laws concerning the nation of Israel. Um, and of course, this law demonstrates the, the need. The law demonstrates also the need of a sacrifice for sin. We can't, we can't meet the law. Uh, it declares us guilty. But Galatians four four says, "When the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of woman, made under, under the law. That means He was subject to it. He was subject to the law. He was subject to the law, and yet He fulfilled the law. He met the demand, the righteous demands of the law." So he, was, he came under or subject to the law, and, and he came to redeem them or to purchase us out from under the curse of the law. Redeem them around the law that we might receive the adoption of sons. Um, the law also, uh, of course, it also, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. So, again, requires a sacrifice. The law shows that you and I need a sacrifice for our sin. And, of course, we see that in the person of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus did not destroy the law. He did not do away with the law. He ended the ceremonial and civil laws. He did not end the moral law. He fulfilled. And he was a fulfillment of all those ceremonies, those lambs slain, those new moons. All those things picture some ministry of Christ. You know, even the, the instruments of the, if you study the tabernacle in the Old Testament, the, the brazen altar speaks of sacrifice. That's where he was sacrificed. The, the altar of uh, 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 the laver speaks of washing. You know, you need to wash, uh, purge yourself from sin, washing away sin. Then you go to the altar of incense and and it speaks of offering uh, 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 prayers to God. And, and, and he's our intercessor. It's through him that we go, have access to God. And, and you know, the Holy of Holies, uh, again, speaks of eternal redemption for us. And, of course, all that is ended because Christ is our Passover, the Passover lamb. Again, it was to be a lamb without blemish, without spot. That's Christ. It says... He was without blemish, without spot. And so, this is what the law declares. Uh, Jesus fulfilled the law. And then, the, the sixth one would be the age of grace or the age of the churches. And this is what was a mystery. And, I, and I'll show you why it was a mystery. If you go to Luke chapter 4, and also Isaiah chapter 61. 
Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Note this comma right here. And the day of vengeance of our God. Now, if you go to, keep your place there, go, go to Luke chapter 4. And verse 16, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. There was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to pro- preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book. Now go back to Isaiah 61. Where did he close the book? He closed the book at the end of the statement to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. He didn't finish the verse. Because, as of right now, there's over 2,000 years between to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. And that's the time we're living in. And this period was a mystery. It was hid. That's why Paul said in Ephesians 3, it was hid. It was hid. Uh, so, you know, Jesus came the first time to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, present himself as the Savior, as the Messiah, to redeem us from our sin. The day of vengeance talks about when he's coming back in judgment. And that will be at the beginning of millennium, when he's going to rule and reign. He's coming back in judgment. So there's 2,000 years time period gap right there at that comma, which the prophet knew nothing about. He didn't say anything about it, because he didn't know about it. And that's why Paul said in Ephesians 3, that we read earlier, that I said we'd go back to, that this was a mystery hid. Uh, verse 5, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, uh, where the Gentiles should be fellow heirs in the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So, so this was hid before. It was a mystery that was revealed to Paul, through Paul by inspiration, and given to the Lord's churches to make known to the world to make it known even to principalities and powers. Notice, read on. Verse 9. To make all men see what is the the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things in Christ Jesus, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, the word church is used here in an institutional sense, but churches make known to the world, to principalities and powers. We're making it known to the angels. Look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. 
You know, the angels didn't even know. 1 Peter 1, verses 11 and 12. Let's, let's read uh, verse, let's stop, go back to verse 10. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify, when it testified beforehand, the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. So, so the prophets did prophesy about the sufferings of Christ. But they didn't talk about the age of the churches. They just talked about the sufferings. And then they talked about the glory. As if it, you know, so it appears to them that there would be the suffering and then there would be glory right after it. But that's not the way it's worked. That's not the way God had planned. He just didn't reveal this time period to them. And so, so they searched it. They were, they were puzzled. And he says, uh, so they testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ... You know, you can read Psalm 20, what is it, Psalm um, 22. Suffering Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. So churches, do you ever wonder why Satan hates us? Because we're making known things to the world that he doesn't have any clue about. He didn't have any clue about. It also exposes him for who he is. And so, this was a mystery that was hid before. It was revealed through the Apostle Paul by inspiration and, and has and been revealed to us. So again, these are time periods, and, and again, some of them overlap, you know, the, the dispensation of the law really overlaps into the age of grace. You know, some people have have this strict dispensational view where you got to cut it off here and you got to cut it off here, and you know, they, they, they like the dispensation of law. They say has to end with the the veil of the temple or on Pentecost Sunday, and that therefore you can't have a church. The reasoning is therefore you can't have a church prior to that cutoff time. Well, you know, we aren't ruled completely ruled by dispensation or time periods, but we see that many dispensations overlap each other. And so I believe this is true of this one as well. And Jesus came to fill it. We know that the gospel or the age of grace begins with John the Baptist. Mark 4, 1 through 4. At the beginning of the gospel, Jesus Christ. And it talks about John. Uh, Luke 16, 16 says the law and the prophets were until who? John. So the age of grace really started with John, not with Pentecost or not with the crucifixion of Jesus. It started with John. Uh, John one seventeen says the uh, the law came the law came by Moses, but grace and truth by Jesus Christ. And of course, Peter basically says this too in Acts chapter one verses twenty one and twenty two, where he says, "Wherefore these men which have accompanied with us." All the time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John. So Peter, again, takes, it, takes their origin and their establishment as a church all the way back to John. Um, uh, or the gospel preaching all the way back to John. Uh, so, so, again, there's an overlap here. However, again, the moral law still stands as God's righteous standard of conduct for God's people. 
read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. You see, Israel, Israel, and you football people will know this, all you will know this, Israel really has only been temporarily sidelined. Sidelined. Now, look at Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And probably this is the the most invasive theology that's coming into uh, Bible-believing churches in, in our world today and this idea of replacement theology that the church is now Israel. And it's not true. Romans chapter 11, verse uh, 13 Paul says, For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If I have any means, I may provoke you to emulation, them which are my flesh, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches be broken off, and thou being a wild olive tree, so we Gentiles are like a wild olive that's going to be grafted in, to the native branch, which is Israel, really. And so are the branches. If some of the branches be broken off, and there will be a wild olive tree where it grafted among them, with them partakest of the root and fatness of the tree. So we reap the blessings of Abraham. You know, it says, In him shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now, we do not receive the promise, and, and I'll get to this in a minute. We do not receive the promises given to Israel as churches. We have different promises. We're heavenly people, not earthly people. But we do reap the blessings because the Redeemer came through Abraham. And he's our Redeemer too, just like he is in Israelite. Uh, and, in, of course, in the church, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. But anyway, so verse 18 says, Boast not against the branches, that be referring to Israel, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off, that I, I might be grafted in, as a Gentile, well, because of unbelief, they were broken off, and thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spare not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God, and them which fell, severity, but toward thee, goodness. Thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, this is key, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. That's, again, referring to Israel. For if thou wert cut out of an olive tree, which is wild by nature, wert grafted contrary to nature in a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, that be Israel, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in, is, in part is happened unto Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. So, so the Gentile world power is going to run their course, and when Jesus comes back, that's going to be the end of their course. Anyway, Verse 26, and so all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come a Zion out of, deliverer, out of Zion, the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. According to the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. But as touching the election, it means chosen, they are beloved of the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. So, 
He says, now, if you take that verse and isolate it, verse 26, you're going to have problems. And I've known people have done that. And they've said, every Jew is going to be saved. That is not what that is saying. He says, and so all Israel shall be saved as is written. There shall come out of Zion a deliverer. Now, Paul said earlier in... Uh, Verse chapter 9, I think it is. No, yeah, chapter 9. Look at, go to chapter 9, verse 6. Again, you have to compare Scripture with Scripture to, to really understand this. Verse 6. Not as though the word of God hath taken an effect, for they are not all Israel which are of Israel. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children. But in Isaac shall thy seed be called. Now, who is Isaac a type of? He's a type of Jesus Christ. He was the son that was offered as a sacrifice. He was the seed. He was considered a saved man. Not all of Israel is saved people. And not all Israelites will be saved. But all the seed of Isaac or what really he's saying is all the seed that accept Jesus Christ will be. And as a nation, there's going to time, come a time period, we'll be during tribulation when they're going to turn uh, to the Lord. So again, these promises of land were given to Israel. They're not given to the churches. Not given to the churches. Uh, they have been temporarily sidelined. Uh, the promise of their Messiah ruling and reigning on the throne of David. That's the Jewish promise. He's the son of David. The son of Solomon. He's not the son of a Gentile. Although we are going to rule and reign with him. I don't understand how all, that, all the details of that work out. But that's what the Bible declares. You know, and the nation of Israel is going to be the coveted nation again of the world. Um, however, in the process of that, many of them are going to die. Uh, and Zechariah tells us concerning this. Uh, he describes their repentance. He describes their turning to or receiving the Messiah. And, and, and that's described for us in Zechariah chapter 12 and 13 and 14. And I'm not going to read all that for sake of time. But if you want to read that talks about how they, they, they look on him whom they have pierced. And they mourn for an only son. You know, he says, and they ask, who, who, where, where did you see for those wounds? And he says, in the house of my friends. And, and they are going to be, of course, this is the end of tribulation. They're going to be surrounded by the nations in a last attempt to completely destroy them. And two-thirds will die. Two-thirds. And one-third will be delivered. And, of course, Daniel the prophet speaks of this as well. So, so, that brings, so the end of this dispensation we're in, the church age, the age of the churches, when with the rapture. Not the rapture of the church. It's the rapture of the saints. The rapture of the saints. Recorded for us in 2 Thessalonians, or 1 Thessalonians, 
And of course, that will usher in the tribulation period, which is a seven-year time period, described for us in the book of Revelation, also described for us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Um, and it'll be a time where God is purging and redeeming Israel. And in that process, again, two-thirds will die because they refuse to accept him. Then one-third will turn to him. And all those, again, all Israel, all those will be saved. That's what that means in Isaiah, or Romans chapter 11. So, um, of course, Revelation 4 describes this for us. You know, in chapter 4, verse 1, John's told, come up hither. That's a picture of the rapture. And he's in heaven. He sees scenes in heaven, chapters 4 and 5. Chapter 6, you have judgments starting to be poured out on the earth. That's the tribulation period. And, of course, Daniel 9 describes some of this. And, of course, it's described in Revelation 6 through 19. And, and then at the end of that seven-year period, Christ is going to come back and rule and reign. Revelation 20, verses 1 through 6. That he's going to rule and reign with Christ for a thousand years. And Satan is going to be back. Now, you can't take Revelation chapter 20, where it says Satan is bound, and put it into Ephesians. Do you know people try that? People do that. They're called all millennials. In other words, they don't they believe that the millennium is all the I guess all the time. That Satan was bound somewhere in the past, you know, during the dark you know, one one guy told me that Satan was bound during the dark ages. And I said, That's when the greatest persecution was. Well, I shouldn't say that because you know, if you study if you do any research on Persecution of believers around the world today, it, it's still as great as it ever was. We just don't hear about it. But, you know, there were, you know, there have been people martyred in every century, and some great persecution was going on during that time, and the Catholic Church ruled and reigned. Um, that's why it was called the Dark Ages. Satan was not bound. Somebody said if he was bound, he was bound a very, very long chain. No, so you have to understand the dispensation of the time period which, in which the scripture reading is written for. Let me give you a few examples. Okay? Revelation chapter 20, verses 1 through 6, is talking about the millennial reign of Christ. It's not church doctrine. Like the book of Ephesians, or the book of Romans, or the book of Colossians. Those are books that are written specifically to churches to instruct churches how we ought to conduct ourselves. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Gospel, you know, there's things, in fact, go to Matthew chapter 24. And even in the Gospels, there's some things that are written for churches, and there's some things that are written that are future. And if you don't understand that, you can be very confused about or make wrong applications or wrong interpretations. Matthew 24, verse 1 says, Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and his disciples came to him to show him the building of the temple, buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world? And so he begins to describe, and I believe... At the beginning of it, I think he's describing the Roman wars against Israel. Because he said, you know, he describes how the temple's going to be thrown down, not a stone left upon another. That's what Titus did. Well, Titus really didn't do it. It was the soldiers that they, they didn't, they, he couldn't restrain them. 
and they just plundered and destroyed. And because they, they burnt the place, the gold melted and went down between the rocks, and so they tore all the rocks apart of the foundation to get the gold out. So it was raised completely to the, to the bottom, to the foundation. Uh, and that's what it describes there. There will not be one stone upon another. But if you go to verse 15, he's not talking about that time period. He's talking about something that's still yet future from Daniel chapter 9. Verse 15 says, Wherefore, when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place. Whosoever readeth, let him understand. Then let him which is in Judea flee unto the mountains. You need to get out of here. You know, this is a reference to what's going to happen during the tribulation period. When all the nations are going to come against Israel, and they're going to surround it. Again, Zechariah 12 describes this. And they're going to wage war against it. And then Christ is going to return at the end of that and, and, and deliver them. He's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives. And he's going to destroy those nations. So, again, see, you can't take Matthew 24, verses 15 through 24 and say, this is for today. Now, there is truth here that we can apply. But the interpretation is, it's not speaking of this time period. It's speaking of something yet future. And so, again, we have to rightly understand the time periods. Some things overlap, other things don't. And we have to understand and know the difference. Um, there are also three people groups in the Bible. The Jew, in 1 Corinthians 10, he speaks of making none offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the church of God. And the portions of the Bible are written to those three groups. Okay? Again, we have, we have instructions in the Gospels for the church. We have, we have the Acts of the early church as examples for us in the book of Acts. We have the church epistles from uh, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. First and Second Thessalonians. We have pastoral epistles. First and Second Timothy, Titus. Um, you know, all those things are written specifically for the churches. I believe Hebrews was written to the, the Hebrew church in Jerusalem. Uh, and, of course, we have, we have uh, James written, again, to the churches, and First and Second Peter, and First, Second, Third John. I believe those are written for, for God's people in the churches. So all these things are written for the churches, particularly for the churches. There's direct application, and interpretation is for churches or for pastors, those pastoral epistles, First and Second Timothy and Titus. And, but then you also have portions of the Bible that speak about the Jewish people and their land and their covenants. Those, those promises aren't to us as churches. We're not Jews. And they were made specifically to the Jews. The sufferings of the tribulation, are, it's, it's particularly going to be for the, the redemption of Israel. If you read uh, Daniel chapter 9, he talks about my people, my people. And, and of course, that tribulation period is, is to purge them. Uh, there are historical books. What do they refer to? They give us the history of the nation of Israel. Joshua to Esther. Now, is there things in those historical books that, can te- that, that are instructive to us? Absolutely. But they really do not apply to the churches today. Um, we, we don't teach church doctrine from that. 
uh, or base our doctrines on that. Uh, we have portions of the Bible that are written specifically concerning Gentile nations. In Ezekiel 37, it talks about the, the bones and the dry bones and, and Ezekiel prophesying to these dry bones and they begin to they get skin and blood and, and, and begin to move. And it's, it's speaking about Israel. And then in chapter 38 and chapter 39, he addresses Gog and Magog, Gentile nations that will come against Israel during the tribulation period and how they're going to be destroyed. Again, they don't apply to us today. It's prophecy concerning those nations. You read Jeremiah 46 through 51. All it is is judgments on Egypt, Ammon, Moab, Babylon, Assyria. doesn't have anything to do with us. Again, is there a profit in reading those? Yes, there is. Because all the Bible, whether it's to us or dealing with somebody else, shows us how God deals with man. It demonstrates his mercy to man, his judgment of man for his sin, his compassion in forgiving them and, 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 and restoring them if they, if they confess their sins. You know, all these things are examples of these kind of things in the Bible, even though it may not have been written for us, for our time. So, but again... Uh, so we have to understand who it's written to. Does it fit this time period? Does it fit my time period? Or is it for another time period? You know, and, and so these are things that we need to understand if we're going to rightly divide the word of truth. You know, much false doctrine. This is what the, how the cults build their doctrines. Just take something from the tribulation. That's where the Jehovah's Witnesses came up with 144,000. That's something that's going to happen in the tribulation. Those are all Jews. The Bible describes them as, you know, so many thousand out of this tribe, so many thousand out of that tribe, so many thousand out of that tribe. It's all Jews. But the Jehovah's Witnesses have pulled it out of the context and tried to apply it to today. And hence, the false doctrine and the predictions. So, so if we're going to rightly divide the scriptures, we need to have some understanding of who it's written to. You know, again, the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So if there seems to be a contradiction, we have a misunderstanding about something. We may have it out considering it in the wrong time period, or we may be considering it it's not written to our, us, to the churches today. Maybe it's written to the Jews or so on and so forth. So these are the things that, that we, we must understand. But all of it is written for our admonition. Look at and I'll be done with this. First Corinthians chapter 10. And, and Paul, when he wrote to the church uh, at Corinth, he, he talks about the nation of Israel to a Gentile church. And this is what he said in verse 11. Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. God judged Israel. He will judge you. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And all these things that are written and recorded for us in the Old Testament are illustrations or examples of God's dealing with man. 
And, and so he says, look, they're in samples uh, to us. And so we need to consider his word to us um, and, not, and take heed lest we fall.